This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. All right, Tommy, what do we got today? Well, we're looking at since um, Veterans Day is coming up, and it's actually going to be the um, 100th anniversary of this specific thing that we're talking about today, which is the um, Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. So it was actually first um, put into place, first approved on March 4th, 1921. That's when it was approved. It was officially brought back on November 11th, 1921. That's when they actually uh, laid the memorial and everything. So uh, it's going to be 100 years. So we're going to be looking at the history, I guess, of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. A little bit behind it, how this... There is no unknown for Vietnam anymore, right? We'll talk about that yeah, story. Is there known now? Because they're known. Yes, there was known. And then uh, just like the ideas behind it, like the guards, which I found a lot of interesting stuff about the, uh, I should watch a documentary about them. I remember a couple of years ago about the honor guards at the Arlington National Cemetery. So it's interesting stuff, hopefully. And I think there's the story well, or the history behind the Arlington National Cemetery in itself. Itself is, is yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of yeah. messed up in a sense, but, but, but interesting nonetheless. All right, so we're, I'm trying to figure out where we could start, but I guess just a little bit of background. I mean, obviously, every war has, it's kind of very unfortunate, but the consequence of warfare is that large numbers of people are identified, unidentified. Uh, unidentified, that's what happens. I think they're saying just the um, Arlington National Cemetery itself has remains of over 2,000 Union and Confederate soldiers. They're just the Civil War unknowns. They, no one knows the exact number. About they think probably half of the Civil War dead were never identified. Overall. Yep. And also, like, starting, if you think in, like, wars, specifically in the United States, so we're talking about, like, War of 1812, but also the Revolutionary War, a lot of the unidentified remains, there was no really record keeping. So the idea was to let's quickly bury them as, you know, essentially as quick as possible so the bodies don't deteriorate. So that led to a lot of unmarked graves. A lot of times people were buried kind of where they fell. So near a battlefield, yeah. they would just... They would just bury them on the side of the road, even. At Arlington National Cemetery, as you were saying, right, it includes um, unknown soldiers and sailors from War of 1812 that were discovered, buried at Washington Barracks, and reburied at Arlington National Cemetery in 1905. So they're still finding these, like, mass graves of soldiers, um, or at least they were by 20th century. And whenever they find them, they kind of move them because now they could be in someone's backyard. Civil War, there was no national cemetery system whatsoever. It wasn't really established until like during Civil War. And that would be something that would ensure proper burial of all service members. What basically happens is World War One kind of creates the um, Quartermaster Corps, yep. which um, they have the grade registration service. That's when they basically receive the dog tags. Everyone knows them today. There's aluminum identif- identification discs. And they really go about and really trying to... They were round, by the uh, way, back then. Round yeah, little... Yeah. yeah. Basically to identify um, the dead. That's what they wanted to do. And France and Great Britain had significantly higher casualties and more unknown than the United States did. Um, so a lot of them were actually buried in Britain first thing got moved over later on. Well, because Spanish-American War, when the United States goes into the Spanish-American War in 1898... The U.S. military policy is to essentially return to the United States all the bodies of service members who died abroad, regardless whether they were known or unknown. Like that was, you know, that was the whole policy at the time. And the Army Quartermaster's Corps oversaw this burial and the moving back to the United States of bodies. Yeah, people were trying to do it. It wasn't just. 
side of the road stuff anymore. Exactly. But World War One, the issue became that there was just so many deaths. You know, there's more than 100,000 U.S. casualties compared to like the 3,000 in the Spanish-American War. So it was very challenging to bring all these soldiers and servicemen back to the United States to get them buried, regardless, again, whether they're unidentified or not. So that's what the decision was made. Yeah, Yeah, decision was made. And same thing for France and Great Britain. You know, they had this, they had even more casualties. So decision was made like, all right, we need to change this U.S. military policy. We can't bring everyone back. They're going to have to be buried more or less where they fell. And that's really where this idea of an unknown soldier tomb starts, not just for us, but also for Britain and France. It was kind of like a, because they couldn't move all their people back and bury them in Britain or in France or in the you know United States, they did this symbolic burial yeah. of a soldier, right? That's supposed to symbolize all those men that have perished on foreign lands. Yeah, and they right? brought they brought back to the United States, like we said. And it's a final it's an unknown World War One soldier. Mm-hmm. And um, but it basically was like we said, it was chosen. I think they picked like several unknowns. Yeah, that was the interesting process. Did you see that? They like brought four caskets. They made the caskets look identical. And they had a soldier come out and randomly choose which casket will be buried as the unknown soldier. And that one was taken. The other ones were buried back um, in Britain. Or no, in France, I believe. France, yep. And then they were brought over to the United States where it was eventually going to be the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And um, it has, it's written on it. Well, basically the tomb is decorated with three wreaths on each side. Mm-hmm. A north, a south, and the east, and and it says a uh, peace, victory, and valor. I believe they originally said manhood, but then they changed that to valor later on. And then there's an inscription which reads, "Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God," and that's yeah. supposed to represent all the unknowns from World War One. And then they later do this for World War Two, Korea, and Vietnam also, which I guess we'll get to in a little bit. Also, I should kind of mention, I forgot to mention that before, that the U.S. policy uh, gave an option, which is something that the British and French did, um, military did not do. The United States basically told families that if you requested your the remains of your service member who died in Europe, they would be transported anywhere in the United States at no cost to the family. Um, so the families could bury their dead at permanent U.S. military cemeteries anywhere um, or, you know, leave them at... It's basically U.S. military cemeteries in Europe. There's, there's. Well, there's one in, yeah, by um, D-Day. Well, no, in Normandy, like, yeah. Normandy does have to have that, and there's one thing dedicated to the Battle of the Somme, right? Yep. Uh, November 11th, right, 1921 is when um, the two Monano soldiers officially um, dedicated. At the time, it consisted of a simple marble slab. Obviously, during the years, uh, it's kind of built been built up a little bit and thousands of you had to do a lot of fixing with it too did you see that that it kept on cracking no no what do you the marble kept on cracking there was all this debate about whether or not to replace it or fix it and they refixed they fixed it actually a couple of times the last time was in 2011 they said now you can't see it. but at one point it was actually like a 21 foot crack going through it really yeah through, well, through one of the things I guess if you think of any people go and see it i mean i've seen it numerous times actually and, and it's always something to the entire experience is something you don't forget um, another thing that was kind of interesting here is that so President Harding's there, right? An armistice day. Another government, uh, military, you know, whatever, international dignitaries. Um, as they're burying the soldier with the highest honors, the before they lowered the casket, they poured two-inch layer of soil brought from France to be placed yeah. below the coffin so that this person might rest forever atop the earth on which he died. I thought that was kind of an interesting. It is, it's definitely very much honoring 
not just this individual, but all the individuals that passed away during that war. So they really wanted to do as much as they could for him. Remember, this is all happening after World War One, which is like at that point, the most bloodied, most intense conflict the world has ever seen in the Great War. And they, they don't expect any wars after this. You know. First of all, the, the, just before we move on to World War Two, the soldier that was buried there was actually given all kinds of awards of decorated with valor. Yeah, right? from all different countries. And the ones yeah. in the other countries also got the American awards. It was like every yeah. country kind of did it, yeah. Yeah, so think of like the um, Medal of Honor, except like the British version and the French version. Like, you know, there's, the, every, there's also like a Polish version, a Romanian, if you if you look into it. It is the decorated soldier of World War One, And that's the same for, as you said, all of the tombs of the unknown soldier throughout. Um, well, they get everything. Yeah, rightfully so, because it's supposed to Simulous. encompass all the soldiers. Yeah. All the soldiers. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So World War Two in Korea. This kind of comes into play in 1956. President uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Not about the same time, right? They do the same time. Yeah, they do Korea and 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 uh, World War Two at the same time. Um, and it's also this is only three years after the Korean conflict kind of, I wouldn't say ends, but has a pause. Eisenhower signs a bill. Basically, for to add to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, a World War II and a Korean War veteran. You have selection ceremonies that are very similar to what happened in World War One. The ceremonies don't really take place till fifty-eight, but same premise. You have World War II unknowns. You have caskets that are selected, um, or rather, remains that are selected from cemeteries in Europe, Africa, Hawaii, and Philippines. Yeah, and the um, ones who weren't selected were then um, re interned at those places, and then I think the World War Two ones who um, were not placed. There's there's two, right? There's two yep. unknowns from World War Two. One from a European theater, yeah. One from the Pacific. They were put in identical caskets, and um, basically that's where they were kept. And then all the ones that were not chosen were then buried at sea. Yeah, they had this naval um, captain that actually that he was one that picked. It, yeah, yeah, he had, he was an active duty Medal of Honor recipient. They said he was the Navy, U.S. Navy's only active duty Medal of Honor recipient. So he picked them, and then the other person, like I said, um, we're let's see. The Korean unknown, same premise. They got four unknown Americans that died in the Korean War. They got an Army Master Sergeant, I think, made the final selection. And again, this is the selection is process is done very much like, you know, they put four caskets, and this guy knows nothing, and he just kind of selects, right? This you can't just pick which one, yeah, they put like a, and they go from there. Place like the reefs on it, basically, and that's the one he chose. Yep. Uh, so the both uh, the remains of World War II and Korean unknowns um, actually laid in the state capital in 1958, May 1958, until May 30th, where they were carried to Arlington National Cemetery. President Eisenhower also awarded each a Medal of Honor, and they were interned alongside their World War One comrade. Vietnam. Right? This is where things get a little... Well, it starts off normal. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say normal. It's not bad, but it um it just shows progression, I guess, of technology, I was right? Gonna say, right? That's part I'm, of it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, like, well, actually, like World War II in Korea, they could probably, if they wanted to, figure out who it is as well. I mean, in, with, well, if they had something compared, this had there was a little bit more going going on with this one. So, be the Vietnam. Um, let's just get to the story of it, and we'll get to it. Was um, originally designed by Medal of Honor um, recipient, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a ceremony at Pearl Harbor. Each branch of the service had it, and um. Vietnam veterans, President Ronald Reagan, they were all there. He was interned, I believe, on Memorial Day, May 28th, 1984, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what happened was there was always, I'm looking into this a little bit, there was always these individuals saying, we, we know who this person is. We know the unknown of Vietnam, right? 
1994, uh, this man by the name of Ted uh, Stapley, he was a um, POW MIA um, missing in action activist. He determined that the remains were most likely those of a Air Force uh, major, Air Force Lieutenant Michael Joseph Blassie, who was shot down in Vietnam in 1972. And he published an article about it. He contacted their, their uh, Blassie's family. They attempted to persuade the case, right? And um, nothing happened. So fast forward until 1998, CBS right, did a news broadcast on the investigation. And that brought a lot of political pressure. They're basically, let's just test these, these um, remains. That's a sick. If we can identify this unknown, why not, right? So the body was actually exhumed in May of 1998, and they did DNA testing on it, and they determined that, yes, this was actually Michael Joseph Blasi. And therefore, um, his it was announced on June 30th, 1998, and then on July 10th, his remains were returned to his family, and he was interned in his uh, native St. Louis, Missouri. And um, the crypt has now decided to, they decided to leave the crypt empty. Um, and it just basically says the... Um, History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Honoring and keeping faith with America's missing servicemen. So it was decided to leave the crypt vacant. There is no actual body in the Vietnam untomb. It's supposed to be a memorial to all of the, not just unknowns, but all the ones missing in action, POWs from Vietnam and all the other, all, all wars, basically. Do you think America's they're going to add, do you think, I mean, I, unknown soldiers, is, it's kind of tough in today's, you know what I mean? Well, like you're not having, people. there's a couple of things, like not minimizing people who are fighting today, but the like, casualties are not, you're not having those massive battles, right? Yeah. There's no Normandy, there's no Psalm, um, stuff like that. It's much more easily able to identify the people who are casualties than it was yeah. back then. So I could it still happen? I'm sure. Could it still be POWs, MIAs? Absolutely. But, uh. I don't know. I didn't really say anything about like adding any more unknowns. You know, they didn't like, that's not really something that they're looking to do. The tomb guards, the Sentinel. This, this the is an interesting Gen- story. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like you, you're like, this is like your, your dream job over here. No, well, no, my dream job is to be a uh, tour guide at, uh, at Pearl Harbor or a professional wrestler announcer. Yes. One <laughs> or the other. So I know very, very different things, but yes. But, um, uh... but this was uh, it's a pretty interesting thing because it, it wasn't always the case. Early on, it was actually civilians who guarded it. People were coming, like chipping away at the marble hmm. and stuff like that. So they had to, like, all right, petition to actually get the government to get involved. And since 1937, it has been guarded 24 7, seven days a week. There's never been a time since 1937 that there was not a guard on active duty. As a and it is, it's also the highest honor for U.S. Army men to serve as a center. It's not easy. It's not easy either. They say that fewer than 20% of all volunteers are actually accepted for training. And even for that doesn't mean you could yeah. actually make it. No, because it's, it's so hard to actually do it. I think only like 600 soldiers, 650-something is that number, was like, have ever actually had that duty. It was, it's, right. I think about that since 1937. Nuts. Like it's just so rare. And stuff like that. Um, and as you mentioned too, you were saying, different. like before we started recording, you were saying that you would love to have that qualification badge. The unknown soldier guard 
identification yes. badge is the third least awarded qualification badge. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's not. It's not. It's like almost impossible to get. It can actually be taken away if you ever do something in your life that um, tarnishes the unknown yeah, soldier. They revoke that. They, they, they revoke it. Yeah. And it wasn't only until the sixties you were you, you were able actually to wear it whenever you wanted. And what's also interesting about the soldiers when they go there, like obviously they do it no matter what. They're not allowed to drink. That's one yeah. thing. Like when they're on duty, even when they're not on duty, they're not supposed to do that. But also, um, when they when they do their march and when they do their sentinel duty, when they're working on the mat, which we'll talk about, they they don't wear any rank because yeah, they don't so want to they don't want to ever um, have a higher rank than what the unknown soldier was. So they wear no rank. Also, you were talking about like revoking. They revoked twenty three so far in the history of um, the sentinels. Yeah. So, and so a lot of people were asking about like if they're guns are loaded and um yes they're not their guns are loaded and they are prepared to shoot people i don't think they've ever have i didn't find anything like that but basically what they do is they march back and forth so it's it's very um, meticulous routine that they follow watching over the graves they march 21 steps south down this 63 foot long um black mat let's say across the tomb and then they 21, turn the is the, is 21 steps number. back yeah in 21 they always it's they stop for 21 seconds Yep. And they turn and do it again in 21 because of the 21 um, gun salute, which is the highest honor they can give. So yep. that's why everything's 21 seconds. But everything, 21 like you march for 21, 21 steps, you yeah. stop and wait for 21 seconds, you turn to face east for 21 seconds, uh, south for 21 seconds, like everything's 21 seconds. The, the guns they carry are also reflective of just changes, you know, in American weaponry over time. They started with Springfield Rifle, 1903 World War I Springfield yeah. Rifle, and then eventually went to yeah. M1 Grant, yep. And then M4, um, M14. Also kind of crazy. If you watch videos of this, like the Sentinels will confront people who will cross the barriers. Like if you ever you cross the barriers or, or if you're or if they're too loud. Yeah. You get like yelled at hardcore yelled at. Yeah. Right? It's, it's yeah. Like basically if you do something there, like I don't think anyone, you know, try to deface the tomb or something like that. Obviously not going to yeah. do that, but people have, I guess maybe people have tried whatever they will take you out. Like it's, it's not like they take their job very, very seriously, obviously. Well, the thing that everyone sees, yeah, but what the thing that everyone sees and kind of what people go to Arlington to check out is the the changing of the guard. guard. Yeah. So the changing of the guard happens every half hour, um, basically during during public hours. During public hours, right? It's longer times, right? Yeah, they say winter months. Yeah, winter months is every hour, um, and then once the cemetery closes to the public, they change every two hours. Two hours, yeah. And what they work is they work on a rotation for twenty four hours on. 24 hours off for five days and they take four days off and those four days they actually live underneath the tomb there's like a, there's like a living quarters there yeah and what they're doing is they have to have um, their uniforms constantly pressed and like yeah they look perfect they're not allowed any um uniform malfunctions or anyway like anything like out of place not straight this year you're honoring all the unknowns so um, it's intense also, very recently, on October 4th, 2021, it was the first all-female changing female. of the guard that took place, which is, um, which is I think, which, really which cool. had to change things for them because uh, originally you had to be um, anywhere between five foot ten and six foot two, mm-hmm. and have a waist of um, thirty inches or less to be a, to be one of these. Oh uh, well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> There's that no alcohol rumor, obviously, but another one is spelled that uh, sentinels are um, allowed to use profanity in their everyday speech if they're off duty. Um, they're not permitted to curse while on the mat, but then again, you know, when they're not there, but if they, if they're heard cursing or anything like that, they get in a lot of trouble. But like the big, the weird thing that I saw, well, not the weird thing, the, um, interesting thing that I saw was that's also that they, um, live underneath the tomb. That's actually where they live. 
for a lot of them. They all um, live in quarters off off campus yeah, too, but that's where other, like when they're other, on duty. Before we kind of clo- close off, I we have to definitely mention the Arlington National Cemetery itself and how it came to be. So Arlington National Cemetery actually belong to Robert E. Lee's wife, aka mm-hmm. also you know Robert, Mrs. Robert E. Lee. So in uh, 1861, a uh, Union Army officer basically rushed into the mansion because the mansion's still there at Arlington if you go all the way up, and basically told Miss Mary Custis Lee, the wife of Robert E. Lee, that she had to leave. And she was like, I'm not leaving. Like this, this land is, first of all, it's like 1,100 acres estate that was inherited from her father, George Washington Park Custis, who was the grandson of Martha Washington and been adopted by George Washington. So there's that connection as well. But Union soldier, well, the Union Army actually kicks Mary Lee off of her land. They're going to start burying bodies in their backyard. This was kind of like a diss to Robert E. Lee. So they took his property and turned it into a cemetery to started burying bodies there. And by the time Robert E. Lee actually, the war ended four years later and he came back, his property was a cemetery with thousands upon thousands of, of markers. And it's not much going to do at that point either. He's not yeah, going to start digging was, up uh, the was, military dead. Yeah. yeah. So that's how we got, you know, Arlington national cemetery. And there's quite a few, um, I mean, everyone really goes to, when you go to Arlington national cemetery, that's usually a thing that is done with eight grade trips for students. Because you also have JFK tomb, you have RFK. Uh, that's kind of part of the tour when you take it. Yeah, and you could also um, go. I was reading about the site itself. Like you can go to Arch Center. You are allowed to like go and you know, locate them grave markers, but they're very specific. About other things you can't do. Like they said, like there's no picketing, there's no like loud music. So it's, it's not like it's, they really stress the fact that it's a cemetery. Like this is still a cemetery. And it's a final resting place for presidents, right? Supreme Court justices astronauts uh, public servants yeah um so obviously military personnel veterans immediate families it's, it's... president william howard taff is buried there uh, yeah. besides you know besides jfk and obviously jackie uh onassis kennedy lee marvin the actor lee marvin that starred in like every world war ii movie and the dirty dozen he's there too all right. I, I mean, that's all I really have. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? That's all I have. Well, the only other thing that I found, there was a um, poem that was actually written for uh, by a man by the name of Billy Rose. Okay, He was um, born to a Jewish family in New York City. He was known as a songwriter and stuff. And he actually wrote this poem for the unknown uh, soldier. So I guess I can read it real fast. It's kind yeah, of interesting. With, with your cold, uh, cold snow. My, my cold and stuff like that and everything, and my coughing attacks that's going through. All right. But uh, <laughs> I'll try to uh, force it. Actually, it's called The Unknown Soldier. It says, there's a graveyard near the White House where the unknown soldier lies. And the flowers there are sprinkled with tears from mother's eyes. I stood there not so long ago with roses from the for the brave. And suddenly I hear a voice speak out from the grave. I am the unknown soldier, the spirit voice began. And I think I have the right to ask some questions man to man. On my buddies taken care of, was their victory so sweet? Is that big reward you offered selling pencils on the street? Did they really win the freedom they battled to achieve? Do you still respect the coup de gras above the empty sleeve? Does a gold star in the window now mean anything at all? I wonder how my old girl feels when she hears a bugle call. And that baby who sang, hello, central, give me no man's land, can they replace her daddy with a military band? I wonder if profiteers have satisfied their greed. I wonder if a mother, if a soldier's mother ever is in need. I wonder if the kings who planned it all are really satisfied. They played their game of checkers and 11 million died. 
I am the unknown soldier, and maybe I died in vain. But if I were alive and my country called again, I'd do it all over again. That's solemn right. thing. But yeah, it's out there. It's written over 60 years ago. So that's pretty, that pretty much sums it up. That's a nice short one. It's not a short one, but again, it's something that I think people have heard about, but it begins yeah. with a backstory too, which is really why we do this. That's right. That's what we do. Anyway, for all of our listeners out there, thank you very much. Um, please feel free to email us. You could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Uh, we definitely welcome all your suggestions, comments, and so on and so forth. So I hope everyone enjoys their week, and we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.